everybody, and welcome to Respawn Aim Fire, the kick-ass, irreverent gaming podcast from Affable Idiots. I'm one of your hosts, Alexander Kazina, aka Cozy Bear, and this is our backlog accomplishment with Respawn and Friends Review, also known as our barf review of new Super Mario Brothers U. Joining me this evening is the one and only Chad Michael Ennis. Woo! Hootie hoo, everybody! Lasers! Hell yeah. And joining me as well is Adam Gumbert. What's going on, Chooms? Gonna zero some gonks and earn some eddies. Hell yeah. I don't understand what you said. Me neither. Absolutely that, at all. Is that code? Is that like a Winter Soldier code? Real preem. <laughs> Nova, baby. <laughs> Before we get into the swing of things, uh, remember that you can catch regular episodes of the Respawning Fire podcast live on twitch.tv slash idiots every Sunday evening at 8.30 p.m. EST, as well as on podcast services and YouTube every Tuesday at 9 a.m. EST. But this is no regular episode. This is, of course, our barf review of new Super Mario Bros. U, which you, dear listener, voted for us to play as our barf game for the month of September over on patreon.com slash fire. <clears throat> Got a little bit of phlegm in my throat, needed to clean it out. <laughs> in that month's poll, we asked you to choose between new Super Mario Bros. U, Spider-Man Miles Morales, Ghost Runner, and Sonic Mania, with the idea being that all four of the experiences I just listed are games that were, and technically, as of the date of recording this, still are, on the verge of receiving either a direct sequel or at least some sort of meaningful spiritual follow-up later on in October or November of this year. Uh, we figured that it would be worth going back in time and refreshing ourselves on what uh, one of these franchises last had to offer before indulging ourselves in their latest releases. And real talk... Real talk, I'm honestly kind of shocked that Spider-Man Miles Morales didn't run away with this poll. I was so confident that it was going to win that people will remember from the mainline podcast, I actually started preemptively playing Miles Morales before the poll had even been decided, mm -hmm. thinking, oh, I'll just get a head start on this. And That's what it did not win. You see, Mario Alex, Bros, you won. in America, we have a thing called don't count your chickens before they hatch. Oh, really? That's another, another American. Yeah, another American. Another American don't rise, baby. You started selling um, I, off these eggs you didn't even have, baby, because they had dead birds in them. <laughs> Although I guess that's what you want, right? I will say, I will say, I am very grateful I played Miles Morales because that game was a lot of fun in its own right. And, you know, covered a lot of narrative ground that I'm glad that I have now going into Spider-Man 2. Uh, but before we talk about Spider-Man 2, before we even talk about New Super Mario Bros. U, I have anywhere between five to six pages of notes on the history of the new Super Mario Brothers franchise. Because before we can properly talk about new Super Mario Bros. U, we need to understand the origins of this surprisingly very storied Nintendo series. Alex, I'm very excited that you had this prepared because after playing this game, I was like, yeah. I discovered the Gaming Historian YouTube channel and I learned all about the history of Super Mario Bros. 1, 2, 3, World, Mario Paint, and all that shit. And I was like, God, yeah, this is really fascinating. Why doesn't this exist for the rest of the stuff? So I'm yeah, ready to sit I mean, back you'll, and relax. You'll be comparing me now uh, against this level of prestige and technicality. Let's talk a little bit about... New Super Mario Bros. The Original for the DS, released in 2006. Uh, this game was 
pretty hugely critically and commercially successful at the time that's released. It scored an 89 on Metacritic. You know, at that point in time, it had been over a decade since we had last gotten a proper Mario side-scroller. We'd gotten Yoshi's Island, for example, which was, you know, a fun platforming game in its own right, and we'd gotten sequels to that. But been the last time that we'd gotten a just proper Mario side-scroller, and even though the game wasn't looked upon as a revolution, people were really kind of jazzed to just see it come back. Um, you know, it introduced a lot of modern new enemies to the Mario series, introduced a lot of, you know, new power-ups that we hadn't seen before, like the giant mushroom and the mini mushroom, and kind of set a design aesthetic for not just the new Super Mario Bros. series, but I would say the Mario franchise as a whole going forward for better or for worse. Although back in the day, back in the day, I think most people were kind of okay with its art style because it was the art style of New Super Mario Bros. U was kind of viewed as like, oh, this is actually like really like pushing the DS to its limit. This is like a really clean, good looking game for the Nintendo DS. Problem is, is that historically Nintendo kind of has a history of getting really attached to an art style that they originally came up with out of necessity because of technical limitations. And then they keep using that on and on and on, even though they can technically make something that looks better. Uh, another, I would say more like specific example of this and even the new Super Mario Bros. series is something like Star Fox, where in the Star Fox series, all the ships in that series have very angular designs. The R-Wings are basically just a bunch of triangles. And the reason for that is because when the series debuted on the Super Nintendo, that's literally all that they like that was how you could portray a spaceship in a 3d space it's just a bunch of triangles it's a bunch of simple polygons but then going forward nintendo didn't really do that much to kind of up the design aesthetic of the series just for like how can we make this look more and more hd although in in their defense george lucas updated his design for the prequels and those were not good movies <laughs> that's true that's true Fast forward three years later, GameStop told eager fans that were waiting around the world for the next Nintendo release that Nintendo had told them to reserve shelf space on their stores. This was in the <sighs> middle of 2009. We had been out for a few years, and needless to say, fans were getting a little bit frustrated over Nintendo's lack of lip service to them, the core players. Felt like the Wii's library had gotten a little bit too casual. There hadn't been a lot of like super high quality releases in a while. That game, that GameStop had reserved shelf space for that winter, turned out to be New Super Mario Bros. Wii. And this is where things start to get a little bit testy with the series. Nice. Um, in America, that's an abbreviation was... for testicle. <laughs> oh, shit. I didn't know that America invented testicles as well. So, New Super Mario Bros. Wii was the game that introduced multiplayer to the series. It introduced the mechanic where if one of your characters goes a little bit too off stream, they get trapped in a bubble and they're bubbling along and you can pop them out or you can just be a dick bag and, you know, keep going along your way. And the immediate reaction to this game upon its reveal was, okay, cool. We like 2D Mario games. Previous 2D Mario game was pretty solid, but it felt very much like a half step. Yes, it was Mario, but it didn't feel like the proper core Mario game that longtime fans wanted, like Galaxy 2, which was uh, coincidentally unveiled at the same show. It also didn't help that this was during an era where Xbox Live Arcade was really coming into its own. And you had a lot of really innovative, really 
stylistic and distinct platformers that were coming out of it. You had games like Limbo, uh, Shadow Complex, Super Meat Boy, Splosion Man. I don't know, Adam, if you remember Splosion Man at all. And Miss Splosion Man as well. And Miss Splosion Man, that's right. Uh, and of course, Braid, which not only featured, you know, really innovative, unique 2D platforming gameplay, but also was like very specifically a critique of 2D Mario. And so that immediately didn't really sit well with people. The other thing that the game immediately kind of received flack for all the way up into its release was the fact that its four playable characters were Mario, great, Luigi, great, and two unnamed yellow and blue toads <laughs> with Princess Peach or Wario or Waluigi or any other denizen of the Mushroom Kingdom nowhere to be seen. And it was frustrating on multiple levels because it's like, one, not cool that we're not getting a lot of diversity in this cast. You know, this is, I feel like, during the early era of people being like, hey, we should, you know, include more playable female characters in our games. It's not great that Princess Peach is on the sideline yet again, another damsel in distress. But it was also annoying that the two characters that they had in her set were these just completely generic characters, so much so that, like, they literally don't even have names. To this day, they're just known as, oh, the Yellow Toad and the Blue Toll. Uh, the Blue... T the Blue Toll. The Blue Toad. Uh, in yeah, fact, they don't I even remember... have, like, the legit actual character Toad in there. It's just generic. It's yeah. so dumb. Yeah, in fact, I remember IGN, ahead of the game's release, actually held a contest on their site to like allow fans of IGN to like choose their names because uh, they're just like we have nothing to go on here um, ultimately the game got re good reviews it's standing at like an 87 on Metacritic but the earlier criticisms kind of clouded people's enjoyment of the game um, I as was the case with Mario Bros DS I played this game as well and I still enjoyed it all the same but you know not necessarily my like absolute favorite game on the Wii uh, fast forward a couple years later, yes, I am still going through the history of the new Super Mario Bros. series, but you know, I assure you, I assure you, I assure you, we are building up to a grand crescendo here. Early in the 3DS's life, Shigeru Miyamoto said, hey, we're working on both 2D and 3D Mario games for this console. Revealed in the April of 2012 Nintendo Direct, uh, they announced new Super Mario Bros., Two to release in August of that year. You gotta love Nintendo's release cadence of being like, hey, we're announcing a game in April and it's out in August. Revealed with just four screenshots. And in the kind of months leading up to the release of it, they were like, hey, 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 I know we're a little bit down on the new Super Mario Bros. series, but this one has a really cool mechanic. You know how normally you get 100 coins and then your coin count goes back to zero and you get an extra life? This time around, you can just continuously continue to collect coins and your coin count is going to go up and up and up and up. And oh, that's not all. That's not all. There is a very special reward if you get one million coins in this game. And so people are like, okay, okay, I'll give this a shot. I'll give this a shot. Everybody went into it and turned out that the special reward for getting one million coins was the title screen changed to a statue of a golden Mario. Wow. At least yeah. it wasn't a piece of shit. Yeah, at least it wasn't a Zelda yeah. dookie. <laughs> 
As a whole, New Super Mario Bros. 2 was not that bad. There were a lot of like interesting coin-based powers in the game that kind of livened things up a little bit. So like, for example, you had like the coin version of the Tanuki suit that would continuously earn you coins as you were flying around. But it kind of felt like a bit of a missed opportunity. People came out of it being like, oh man, it would have been cool if we could have done something, you know, a little bit more interesting with the coin count. Like maybe make it so that when you get a thousand coins, you can, I don't know, buy things that allow you to kind of like radically alter your gameplay experience or why not have it so that after you collect a certain amount of coins you can play as wario like that's actually a like relevant and interesting unlock because wario very greedy nintendo character he loves them coins um in the end the game uh dropped down to a 78 on metacritic i think the lowest of any of the 2d mario games still like a respectable score i also played this game back in the day Again, enjoyed it fine. Not my favorite 2D Mario, but I don't think that 78 is unfair. And that one never came to a home console, right? That was purely handheld? No. That was uh, remained on the 3DS. Would you believe it, Chad? I probably would. If I told you that the same year that Nintendo released New Super Mario Bros. 2 on the DS, they also released a little game by the name of New Super Mario Bros. U., when people talk about I would believe that being just so fatigued with the new Super Mario Bros. series, just being so tired and so old of it, this is why. It's because Nintendo released two new Super Mario Bros. games within like a four-month span of each other. So New Super Mario Bros. U, I'd completely forgotten about this, began development after New Super Mario Bros. Wii. Took about three years to develop. Um, it originally debuted at Nintendo's E3 2011 press conference as a demo called New Super Mario Bros. Me. And basically what it was is it was like five levels from the game uh, in HD, but with playable Me characters in addition to Mario and Luigi. And so you could play through the levels as, you know, your own homemade Me. And they look um, so gross. <laughs> it. So here's what's disappointing. I, I went back and looked at footage of this, again, weird New Super Mario Bros. me tech demo. Watching it, I'm like, you know what? This is actually kind of a clever way to address the whole criticism of Princess Peach, of the kind of lack of diversity in like the prior games. That stuff in the final release of the game ended up getting relegated to all the like bonus challenge mode stuff. You can't play as any of your me's in the main campaign, which frankly, I think is a bit of a missed opportunity. Um... So, yeah, this game was like the first sort of HD uh, Super Mario Bros. game. Um, it was, uh, you know, fun fact, uh, obviously one of the kind of flagship games for the Wii U reveal that Nintendo's last live uh, E3 press conference, which was 2012, when it was finally rebranded as New Super Mario Bros. U. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw this, but in the lead up to uh, the release of Super Mario Wonder, People were sharing the initial reveal trailer of you on Twitter, and it is like the most boring ass piece of shit trailer yeah. of all time. I actually I watched it again for a different reason. Like two days ago, I watched it again to, to be like, how did Nintendo market this game? Like, what was the idea of this game and why was it special or cool? And, and I watched that trailer. I was like, oh, this is the shittiest trailer I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really it's just not great. There is just like no no excitement at all. Um, I do want to say real quick, real quick before we get into our kind of proper thoughts on this game. Um, I'm assuming Chad that you played the Switch version of this game, correct? I did. Yes. Okay, which meant that 
all three of us at this table, this metaphorical table, did not get to experience the Miiverse integration which was with this game. You might remember that back in the day when the Wii U launched, they really pushed Miiverse, their kind of proprietary social media network. And New Super Mario Bros. U was one of the first games to use it. Basically, you could walk around different levels on the map and you could see little words of encouragement or discouragement or just weird little doodles that people wanted to people drew a lot of behind dance. for other players um this game had an awada asks interview uh just ahead of its release which was like the old interview series where satoru awada would interview the developers of nintendo games and ask them about their creative process um there's not like a lot of interesting stuff in the interview which i combed through ahead of this episode but i do have this one little exchange that i want to go over before we get into our thoughts uh awada asks uh, what did you think uh, of for having Miiverse integrated? Uh, Daiki Iwamoto, who was one of the developers on the game, said, I had heard that the key word for Miiverse is empathy. Uh, so first, I thought about what makes uh, you experience empathy and want to post it. I'm not very good at action games, so I mess up at the same spots over and over again. Awada, like, I fell in that hole again, laughs. Iwamoto, yeah, laughs. I think that's the time you get emotional the most and want to tell people. And when you clear something really well or do something special to clear a co course, you want to convey that happiness to others too. Iwata, that's true. Iwamoto, I thought if I posted when I felt like that, a feeling of, I was like that too, it would lead to empathy. I tried to make it so that the game would encourage the player to do so. Which I just appreciate, like, the kind of, like, very, like, sincere deep thoughts that go into something like Miiverse, which is like, I, I feel like for the most part remembered for its like memory and ship posting. Oh, uh, man. Chad. Yeah. I've been seeing you sing there piping in every Shaking now and then. Ass. Shaking that ass. <laughs> what did you think of new super Mario bros two? Uh, sorry. New super Mario bros. You. And where did you play it? I played the deluxe version on my Nintendo Switch. Um, I booted it. It turns out I, I thought I had it and did not have it. And I bought it and downloaded it and had a save file already who had beat three levels. <laughs> and, oh, really? And then I was like, oh, I guess I borrowed my parents' cartridge version and played it with my nieces and nephews a couple Christmases ago or something. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I went back and started it over. Played a little bit of multiplayer with a friend who was in town at the time for like three worlds and then played the rest by myself. And overall, I thought that it was well made. It was mm. it, it was uninteresting in that like nothing really stood out, and a lot of the ideas felt recycled from older Mario games. But it was still like a it was a good game. It was a good challenge. There was a, there was a significant I think difficulty spike right towards the end as you get to the end of World Seven and and into the castle. But um, yeah, largely for me, I don't think this is a game that I will ever revisit or replay. Or even think back on as like the best of the Super Mario 2D games, which after looking into how this game was received, I was really surprised about. Adam. Yes. What was your experience with this game? How did you consume it? I watched some very interesting and popular speedrunners on YouTube play through the video game. Who's your favorite did one you, you enjoy? I was going to say. I don't know who he is. I'm sure he's very popular. I've never heard him before, but the video had like 400,000 views. I'm like, all right. It's like DRG, Ninja. DGR. Oh. No. 
It was a very like wholesome like twenty something year old dude, but he was doing his first ever speedrun attempt on it. Um, so yeah, that was interesting, really cool. Because I was like, "There's a full playthrough that's four hours. I'm good on that. I'll watch the fifty minute speedrun from this really interesting guy." So that's how I uh, experienced it because I don't have a Wii U or a Switch. Putting aside the like speedrunning component of those videos and the level of expertise on display, watching those videos where you like, "Oh man, this looks like a game that I." want to get to at some point um i don't know it's the thing where it's like mario 2d platformers are always like good and this one actually looks you know looks nice being in hd and stuff um am i gonna go buy a console and buy the game just to play it no okay. if someone has it sure because i like those games but i was not you know i mean it's a it's a i like mario 2d platformers okay there's your thing. There's some interesting things about the speed run I actually found really intriguing. We Ooh. can talk about that eventually, but uh for sure. A lot of cool tidbits. And it was about the whole design of the game as a video game as well as a speed running. So we can get to that. Mm. Alex, how did you play it and what did you think? Yeah, so I also played the Switch version of the game. I never owned this game back when it was on the Wii U. And I gotta be honest, I actually feel like I'm right there aligned with your thoughts on the game, Chad. This game is good overall it met the basic threshold of quality that i expected out of it but did not really have the level of quality or creativity in its level design that uh, i was led to believe it had the thing about this game is and chad you were kind of alluding to this a little bit earlier over the course of the past few years it feels like there's been a little bit of a resurgence of people being like you know what we kind of gave this game a little bit of a bad rap we were so like upset over how limping out of the door the Wii U, the console was, that we kind of gave its flagship Mario game perhaps too much shit. And actually, this game is pretty good. It's actually pretty good. And so I kind of went into this game with heightened expectations of, oh, I'm going to play like an underrated gem. I'm going to play a game that will defy my expectations. And overall, I just kind of came out of it feeling pretty whelmed. I think that there's, you know, a lot to enjoy about this game. I also think there are a lot of things, a lot of ways in which I feel like the game is weirdly lacking in like quality of life features, ways in which it could have kind of pushed the Mario brand forward without even like necessarily completely reinventing itself. But we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, I do want to say uh, real quick, real quick, I, I wrote down a couple of notes on this and I want to make sure we get to it now before we go any further. So yeah, the uh, version of the game that myself and Chad both played, which is New Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe, uh, was of course initially announced in September of 2018 and released worldwide in 2019. This game is like, or at least a port of this game, like it itself is pretty old now. I don't know why, like if you had told me uh, New Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe came out in like 2021, I would have been like, yeah, it's a pretty recent game, but it's like close to four or five years old now. Yeah. Um, was yeah, there another this, Was there another one that got ported somehow between that and now? Because I feel like I remember one the, coming out a couple years ago. 3D World plus Bowser's Fury That's is it. the more That's recent one. That's what I always one, confuse it with. Which okay. is probably what confused me as well. Yep. Um, so this port of the game, I think, is most infamous for infamous or perhaps famous for introducing Toadette and Peachette, which of course spawned Bowsette. And for those of you who are kind of like not aware of 
how these sort of three came to be. The idea is that for this release of the game, they're like, hey, we're finally going to give you a playable female character. It's going to be Toadette. And hey, you can obtain this item while you're playing called the Super Crown, which will transform Toadette into basically a Princess Peach lookalike, but there are like slight little Toad-ish aspects or design. It's like such weird Nintendo logic of like, well, we can't have this female character be playable because it would directly contradict the plot. So we have to introduce this weird workaround to make their presence make sense. And then someone was like, oh, well, what if Bowser used that? What if Boo used that? What if all these other characters used that and became all hot and princess-like? Um, which I very much enjoy, but that's a story for another day. If you've never seen um, photos of Bowsette, just go, just type in to Google Bowsette Deviant Art, and you will find a lot of good content. Yeah, the, the thing about the like character of Bowsette is like characters over time, people over time have created a lot of rules by which Bowsette, you know, can continue to exist. A lot of like standards by which she should be portrayed. There are actually thirty-four of them that have been made up until this point in time and counting. So if you ever want to like really dive in deep into Bowsette, type in Bowsette Rule 34, and you'll just be <laughs> greeted to a, a trove of interesting artwork. <sighs> very good. That's a very good joke, Alex. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I want to just start by saying that I actually had a lot of fun uh, controlling Toadette and Peachette. Initially, when I went to this to this game, I was thinking, oh, I'll try a little bit of Mario in one level. I'll try a little bit of uh, Luigi in another level, a little bit of the normal Toads in another level. I ended up playing through basically the whole game as Toadette slash Peachette and controlling her, running around, uh, taking advantage of some of her like, little things that give you an extra edge in combat, like being able to do like a third jump, for example, felt great. Um you know, talking about this game overall, like, again, level design is like, you know, consistently very solid. That one Vincent van Gogh starring night level was yeah. very strong. Um, I, you know, appreciated uh, to a degree the return of the kind of like Super Mario World style overworld. And I liked a lot of those moments where like you have to like make your way past an enemy. Uh, and you know what? I also appreciated the Nabbit challenges where you can go back to uh, older prior levels and like play through them while trying to chase after Nabbit for a very like rare but also worth it reward. Um, th that's kind of where my uh, the things about this game that I really loved kind of come to a close though. Uh, did I you like? Did you play any of it as you're the Luigi, like the you're the Luigi content? Oh, uh, Super Luigi, you right? Yeah, um, you're the Luigi, you. Mm -hmm. I played like three levels of that and I was like, cool, this isn't really for me. Yeah. And I kind of bounced. I didn't realize I played through you you mentioned how you kinda like messed around with all of them. I obviously played as Mario to begin with, just be like, all right, this is a Mario game, I'm gonna play as Mario. My friend played as Luigi. And then I didn't realize in the original game on Wii U, you couldn't just pick your character. Like if you were playing solo, you had to play Mario. If you wanted to play Luigi, mm. you had to play player two. If you wanted to play Toad Blue, whatever, you had to play player three. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And so that's why Luigi U is such a big deal. It's like, oh, you can finally play solo as Luigi. And then, of course, the, the courses are shorter but more difficult, too. Yeah, that's the whole idea is that they're like very, very like time constrained levels that are like very, very short. Immediately upon starting them, I was like, it's like it's kind of impressive that Nintendo made 
a an expansion to this game that is this expansive because it's basically the whole map from the game but like remade in, with these entirely new like slightly shorter levels but I was very quickly like, ah, this is very challenging, and I don't love Luigi's slipperiness. It's never something that I've liked about the character, even going all the way back to New Super Mario Bros. 2. And so I was very quickly like, I'm going to drop out of this. You know what's no really interesting? In reading up on that DLC and like what it was and why it existed, uh, I found out that after you beat New Super Mar or New Super Luigi U, you can literally just click a button to turn off Luigi's physics and just become Mario with a Luigi skin on. <laughs> it was like, people, they knew that people weren't going to like playing as Luigi. Yeah, your reward is you don't have to do this shit anymore. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah. I was I was Go bummed ahead. by the fact that I wanted to play around too with different characters. And so I was mm. like, let me play as Toadette because I had so many of those crowns in my inventory and no one else can use them but Toadette. I was like, well, shit, let me go use some of these. But then I went to go switch characters and none of your extra lives carry over. So Mario had mm. 60 extra lives. And to if I wanted to play as Toadette, it was like, oh, you're back down to five. And I was like, damn it. Why are they Why are they stuck to a character? Why isn't it just a profile? So I never actually yeah, ended I mean, up playing as anyone else other than Mario. My, my assumption is they probably did that because like Toadette and Nabbit are both categorized as being like easier to play as than like the other four main characters. So maybe like it's sort of like a thing of like, well, we want to kind of like keep these two kind of experiences separate. But yeah, yeah, it's just not great. This game has like I, I said it at the top. This game has some like weird lapses in like quality of life. One thing you mentioned how like the game doled out a lot of super crowns to you, but like you never could really use them unless you were playing as Toadette. In my experience, like I felt like the game also doled out like way too many Starmans, the you know invincibility star, and like so often playing the game, I'd be like, well. I mean, I guess I could use a Starman here to give me a little bit of an edge in this level, but it's only going to last ten seconds. Yeah, and then you know, and usually that's the start of the level or the checkpoint is not where you need the star. <laughs> Right. And I understand that, like, that's that is how it has worked, you know, ever since Super Mario Bros. 3 on the NES. But, like, this would have been a great opportunity to be like, hey, we're reworking the way that the Starman works. Maybe you can bring it with you into the level. And then at any point during the level, you can decide, oh, this is where I'm going to activate the Starman for this one very difficult but very short stretch that's giving me a lot of grief. But, yeah, the game kind of like sticks very, very closely to tradition in that way. Another thing that really irked me about this game that I was actually kind of shocked about was so, as we said earlier, this game brings back the like Super Mario World style overworld where all the like levels are kind of interconnected to one another. Like that on paper, what I don't love is that several of the levels in this game have secret exits. But the game doesn't demark which levels yeah. contain secret exits. And I say that because the original game that birthed the interconnected Super Mario Overworld, Super Mario World, made it so that levels with secret exits were marked in red. This is back during the Super Nintendo era. This is the early 90s. You'd walk up to a level, you'd see, oh, this is red, that's yellow. The red one, we have two exits to take advantage of here. And for whatever reason, with this game, they were like, Ah, no, we're going to leave it to you to figure it out. And sometimes like you'd be scrolling through the level and you'd be like, OK, clearly I can see there is a secret exit over there. But even in those cases, like I was shit out of luck if I actually wanted to remember that 
those levels had those secret exits because the game, of course, doesn't give you any means of being able to like demark or remind yourself that, hey, maybe you should double back these levels later on. And that's, it, it was just, yeah. That, to that point, that's what made me think that this game, the reason I even went back and watched the trailer was because there weren't a lot of those Super Mario World improvements. Like, there wasn't the novelty of finding the keys and getting the keyhole exit to do th this thing. There wasn't the the item box that you can carry a separate item as a backup in the level itself. There wasn't a lot of these things. So I started to think, was like, is this pitched as like a spiritual successor to Super Mario Bros. 3? Because it, mm. it's, or even like a spiritual remake almost, because a lot of the worlds were very much the same as Super Mario Bros. 3. You know, you had the big world, you had the sky world, you had the desert, like all those, which again are kind of tropes in a lot of Mario games. Yeah. But even the power-ups were all like, the the one new power-up in this one was basically the Tanuki suit again, uh, with yeah. a little bit of extra flair. And it's like, and so that's why legitimately afterwards I went back and watched the video. I was like, is is this, was this pitched as a Super Mario Bros. 3 thing? Because it seems very much stuck in that and didn't make any improvement. Even though Super Mario Bros. 3 on the NES mm. was obviously had a lot of innovation yeah, yeah. and defined the series in a brand new way. It's like, there was a of lot course. of things that they didn't seem to think about or bring over into this new one. Quick question. Yeah, I mean, yeah, go ahead. The new suit that's in this game, that's basically just the Tanuki suit. Yeah. When I was watching the speed run, the guy called it a very specific thing. What is it called, guys? It's the flying squirrel suit. Yeah. He kept calling it the nut suit. <laughs> well, I mean, and you can pick like, up an acorn well, to get it, but... <laughs> exactly, yeah. I was just wondering if that was the canonical name was the nut suit, because well, he said it about 17 times in that speed You run. have to put on the nut suit if you want to court Bowsette. Obviously. Yeah. How else would she know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> With regards to the whole like interconnected Super Mario World style map, uh, during my kind of research, it seems like it was not initially in the game during development. It seems like it's one of those things where there were a lot of people on the development team who were nostalgic for Super Mario World. And they were like, hey, we have a lot of good memories of this kind of map. Let's bring it back. And it seems like there was some internal opposition to the idea. But in the end, they were able to bring it back. But it seems like they're just... There just was not a lot of thought that went into how can we make the map of this game like really sing. It was just yeah. like, well, people like this back in the day. We feel very nostalgic for it. But there wasn't a lot of thought into, well, how can we really upgrade this for the modern era? How can we make it, you know, going back to what you've said recently about Sing of Stars, uh, Sea of Stars, like play in the way that you remember it or, you know. Yeah. You know, it's, that even was. Speaking of secret exits, too. Uh, and and the map, I was so frustrated when I get to you know you beat the game and always the like most interesting risky technical levels are usually in the end game. So I was like, oh, I get to finally go to Star World and try some of these. And they're like, go collect all the coins in Acorn Plains. Yeah. And then I was like, I've collected all the fucking coins in Acorn Plains. Every single thing says three. And then I went on you know the internet and found out oh there's a secret exit surprise. It's in the second level, which is an underground world, and it, you jump up and you run past the final world pipe, mm -hmm. just like you do in Super Mario Bros. 1. Like, it's like, oh, new ideas, please? But then from there, you do then warp basically to a secret level that then takes you to world 5 or 7 or whatever it is. It's like, yeah. it's, it, it feels, again, like just recycled content with a new coat of paint on it to me, which is why it wasn't yeah. super exciting in general. The, the star coin thing, that was another missed opportunity of, you know, again, like 
being able to collect these optional star coins is like a time a time honored Mario tradition. Many Mario games prior have done it, but playing through this game, I'm like. I wish during the main bulk of the campaign there was something more I could do with these instead yeah. of them just existing for their own use. I knew, I figured that like once I beat the game, something was going to open up that was going to allow me to kind of finally take advantage of them. But like, it, I don't know, it just felt like a carrot on the end of a stick that was like 50 miles away. Yeah. It's like, could have done a little bit more to motivate me to, you know, 100% these levels. So, I mean, yeah, it's... um. All that said, like we're we're pretty down on it, but like the game is still good. Yeah, the, the game was good. you know overall solid. But like l looking forward, I would be incredibly shocked if Mario Wonder doesn't blow this game out of the water just based on what we've seen of it so far. Yep. And looking backwards, if somebody came up to me and was like, "Hey, should I play New Super Mario Bros. U or the original Mario World?" Like. I know it's very trite to be like, oh, the original is better. The, the Super Nintendo era had so many great games. But like, I legit think that Mario World is just a better execution of what this game is going for. Yeah. I got two things for you. I'll tell you about the speedrun stuff when you're ready. But we were talking on regular RAF and you something about Mario Wonder got brought up and you were like, I won't talk about it until... We talk about oh, that's right. The, you were talking about like the direction you wanted to go. I don't know. I don't know if that's on, written on your notes or anything, but I don't want you to forget that that you wanted to talk about more wonder compared to what this game did or something. I don't know. Hmm. Do you remember what I? Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Choom. No. Choom. What is Choom? Alex. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what that is. No, I'm just saying, was there anything about this game that had a, a, a switch in your brain that went to Wonder? Like, where you're like, I hope they don't do this in Wonder. I hope they do this in, you know. Oh. There was a correlation at some point between this, doing this barf, and then Wonder. I mean, the only the only thing that really sticks out to me is, again, the, the Starry Night level. We, we've said it a couple of times throughout the podcast, for those who might not be aware of it, when... New Super Mario Bros. U was originally unveiled at E3 2012. One of the things that they showed off in the trailer was this level, very heavily inspired by the Vincent Van Gogh painting, Starry Night. And everyone was like, oh shit, are they finally like breaking out of their mold and delivering upon a really like artistic and unique looking Mario experience? And in the game, that level is literally just one level. Yep. And like the rest of the game looks how it does. Not even a world. Um, it is one single level within another yeah. world. Yeah. Which is really weird, but that game, but that level was really cool, and like I would hope that we get more kind of out of pocket experiences like that in Wonder. So, and that's what I'm excited. Like we yeah. talked about the fact that this this whole month's theme was stuff to play in anticipation of new things, right? And what excites me about Wonder specifically is that it does look hella creative. Like it looks like there are so many risks and weird things they're doing aside from just like making people Mario animals like elephants, but also like the looking like you're trippy on drugs, worlds completely rearrange themselves, the randomness of that feature that it seems to be too. And it just, I'm very, very into wonder because it looks like it takes creative risks where I wanted this one to do that one to do that more. So yeah, I'm pumped for Wonder, and I agree with you. I don't think you have to play this one in anticipation of Wonder going forward as well. Mm. Adam, uh, what was your second thing? Yeah, I was going to say, before we wrap up, Adam. Oh no, just about the speedrun thing, because it's the way I watched it. So it was really interesting for me. Of course, you talk about 
you know, there's a shortcut in like the second level to get you basically halfway through the game or whatever. But it was just cool them talking about like what the strategies and stuff for this game are. Because again, there's a lot of these weird like you go under like you see a warp pipe in a random level, but you have to step underneath it to a thing and it's like an invisible wall to go through. Whatever. Speedrunning is very interesting. But he made a point that he played Mario and not um Nabbit, because apparently Nabbit is like the easy mode for speedrun yeah i guess his ability is just like he doesn't take damage or something like that he's intended as like apparently he was released with super luigi U as a way for like your kid to play with you without taking damage Mm. so yeah he does not take damage but he also can't use power-ups but if you fall into the pit then you do lose a life you do that yeah Yeah. so this guy made a point that he wanted to do mario because it's more fun and he made a a big deal about having the nut suit for a lot of uh that's why I thought the joke was. But no, he made a deal about having that. And yeah, he got through it, I think, in like 13 levels. Um, but a thing mm. that he brought up, and I'm going to ask you guys, and this is a speedrun thing, so it's not an average everyday person thing. But they really don't like that. You're, so you take different paths to speedrun the game. There's multiple options. There's obviously probably one that's the best out of everything. Can but, I ask a, sorry, can I ask a, a setup question? Did you mm-hmm. watch someone, like, were they into doing glitches? Because I know there are glitchy speedruns, like we have to break the walls in order to do this. Or was it just like, Game mechanics no, this as is intended. Just, okay. This is just an any percent speed run. Okay. It was no, not glitch stuff. It was I mean, it would be like, you know, try to jump on this boss as he's swooping down to hit him in the top when you're not supposed yeah, to, but, but it's not, not like, like breaking walls that weren't intended. Breaking to be the broken. wall or anything. Okay. Yeah, yeah, nothing like that. Uh so they made a big deal about this, and I'll ask you guys because you played the whole game. Speedrunners don't like it. And he mentioned it was probably maybe a fourth of the levels in the game are auto-scrolling. And is that Good or bad, because they made a big deal. Like auto scrolling levels are off. Obviously, speed run. You're trying to go fast. So you can't control your speed. They're mm. like, that's a lot of percentage of this game is just you got to watch the game and jump in the right spot at the right time. Compared to having full control. Do you guys feel like there was so much auto scrolling, or was it did it not seem that matter to you? Because you're not a crazy speed run person. I well, what's funny I didn't is honestly notice it. I mean, I knew there were speed, yeah. there were auto scroll levels because that's just like a staple of Nintendo platformers. But like, yeah, I was I was busy trying to kill enemies and collect coins and finding what pipes were enterable and which ones weren't and that kind of stuff. So, like, I didn't know they were not burdensome to me. Okay. Yeah, it, it didn't feel like there were exceptionally more or less auto-scroll auto levels in the game compared to, like, normal levels in the game, at least for me personally. I didn't, I didn't feel like they were, like, a significant detriment to this game's, like, enjoyability compared to some of the other things we talked about. Okay, cool. Just wondering that, because they made a big deal about that, but, uh, yeah, no, use the Mario with the nut suit. That's how he wanted to get <laughs> through it, and uh, that was really fun to watch. Crazy people, man. I don't know how they do it. All right. And with that, we have arrived at the end of tonight's Barf Review. As we said at the top of the show, remember that you can catch regular episodes of the Respawning Fire podcast on twitch.tv slash idiots every Sunday evening at 8.30 p.m. EST, as well as on YouTube and podcast services every Tuesday at 9 a.m. EST. And of course, you can also look forward to this episode also going up on YouTube and podcast services soon as well, unless you're actually listening to it there right now. Uh, But that's not all. 
Now that September's barf game is out of the way, we're ready to delve into our next barf experience, and oh boy, it is a doozy. Uh, keeping with the spooktacular spirit of Halloween, we asked you, our viewers, to go to patreon.com slash to vote between four horror-themed video games uh, for us to play in the month of October, and you voted for us to play the Dark Pictures Anthology Little Hope from Supermassive Games. Uh, Full disclosure, I have never played a single game from Supermassive Games before. Never a single one? Never. Ooh. Not even the quarry? Not even the quarry? No, not even. Not even, not even until dawn? <laughs> no, not even. Into, I have until dawn on my hard drive because it was like given out for PlayStation Plus or something at some point, but I've never played it. Oh, all right. I don't know if this the is the best one to start is... with because I've never played this one, but we'll see. A little hope. <laughs> we'll no find hope. out. Little yeah. Pope, no hope, right? That's correct. Uh, the game is Low available. Pope. The game is available on every major home console and PC currently on the market. So be sure to give it a shot and share your thoughts on it with us ahead of our eventual review of it at the end of October. And as always, if you feel especially strong about it and want to join in directly in our review, hit us up and we'll be more than happy to slot you into the show as a guest host. Uh, Chad, Adam. Thank you so much once again for being wonderful co-hosts alongside me. If people wanted to find you online, where could they do so? And is there anything you're up to that you would like to plug? Chad? Uh, I am Chad Mike Innes, I-N-N-I-S, on everything. Twitter. Well, not everything, because I'm not on most social medias other than Twitter. So <laughs> if I am on a platform, is that. And uh, something I'm doing. Um, you know what? I think I'm going to start posting more about my 3D printing stuff. It's blurry right now, so you can't see it behind me. But I have like a display case that I've made here with a bunch of Game Boys in it. Um, and I'm going to turn off portrait mode so maybe you can see it a little clearer. Yeah, a little bunch oh. of Game Boys in it. Look at that. So yeah, I'll start. I'm going to start putting more 3D printing stuff on my Twitter. Adam. Uh, Adam Gumby on Twitter. I do respawn name fire. Yeah. I'll miss the rolls. We've talked about when it's coming back. It'll be a little bit, but that is coming back in the new series Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> and you can find me over on twitter at alex kazina a-l-e-x-k-o-z-i-n-a and with that we'd like to thank you once again for tuning into responding fire we will see you next time cream chooms